I'd like to thank you for being here with us today. Please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings in the Old Testament. That's 1 Kings in the Old Testament. This series has been wonderfully edifying for me. I trust that it's been for you as well. Now, if you're behind in your Bible reading, that's okay. So am I. Just keep going. Just look at it this way. If you're keeping up with the messages each Sunday, then you can have a greater sense of purpose in reading some of these Old Testaments as you as you continue along, which may have been confusing to you in the past, and now you're going to know where they fit in. You see, knowing the faithfulness of God's character as it is put on display for us in the Old Testament brings His faithfulness to us in the here and now into focus. It also serves as a corrective to us in our human nature, in our culture, as it They all try to tell us that this world and our daily existence is all about us. You see, seeing the Bible as we have seen it throughout this series shows us just what James 4 tells us, that our lives are indeed a mist. This is not mainly our story. This is his story. Now, this does not diminish our dignity as individuals, but rather puts that dignity in its proper place. You see, there's a certain hopelessness found in the cultural false gospel of individualism, which says you're unique and you define what that looks like for yourself. And it's your purpose to live according to that. But what if you try and try and try, but your attempts only draw the disapproval of the culture? Well, you end up emotionally broken and purposeless because you are never meant to be defined by the culture around you. Or what if you, what if you try and try and try to live up to what you feel on the inside, but your feelings are forever changing and you end up broken and purposeless because you were never meant to be defined by your own definitions of yourself. You see, this call to understand your story in the midst of God's story exalts the dignity with which God created you because it means that the God who created the universe and every creature within it is a personal God and wants to be your God, and he extends that invitation to you. You see, the Bible tells a better story than this world ever could because it tells us that God has created us uniquely with a distinct purpose and a calling. That calling is to live in relationship with him, in obedience to him, fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ as the author and perfecter of our faith. Our satisfaction and approval rests not in the culture around us, but in our faithfulness to respond to God's call through His Word and the place He has designed for us in His kingdom. You are never more fully who you are supposed to be than when you are living faithfully in the presence of God. This is the choice we're faced with each day. We've looked at God's presence and purpose established in Israel's history thus far, And we see that it's the choice they were faced with as well. We've seen the necessity of choosing to walk with God rather than against Him as we've studied these Old Testament books. We've we've seen that choosing to walk against God, it's what the Bible calls sin, is synonymous with choosing to suffer. As parents, we better be concerned uh, with the kind of choices we're making. We've seen that God will honor our choices even if that means we choose to walk on a path of destruction. But what we've seen and what we will continue to see today is that our choices do not simply affect us. As leaders and as parents, our choices affect those we lead as well. You will see another contour of this idea today through the choices of Solomon, the third king of Israel, the son 
of David. You see, we'll see today that the story first, the story continues. So 1 Kings begins with King David on his deathbed. As we came to the end of 2 Samuel, we saw David headed towards the end of his life as a broken king. His son Absalom had staged a rebellion and had been killed. And God had told David that Solomon should become king. So he does after a little bit of family drama in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2 begins that that David's time to die drew near. So his last words sound very familiar to Moses and Joshua, calling Solomon to follow God and to be faithful to his covenant, sounding very much like the David that we saw in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 86, 11, David prayed that God would unite his heart to fear the name of the Lord. A heart that needs to be united is apparently divided. And here we get a clear picture that David struggled with duplicity and hypocrisy. And we definitely saw that in the account of Bathsheba and Uriah. So to some degree, it shouldn't surprise us that his duplicity, that his duplicity returns on his deathbed. Right after he tells Solomon to be faithful to God, he then tells him to gain political advantage by assassinating some of David's enemies. <laughs> so what are we going to see in the next several chapters that record the events of Solomon's life? We see him seek God, but then we see him being swayed by the deceptiveness of political power, making immoral decisions to gain political advantage, just as the choice of David had indicated. And so let's look now at this, this very famous story of the wisdom of Solomon. That's, in fact, the, a, a catchphrase that's known for uh, a, very, a very prototypical wisdom, the wisdom of Solomon, saying somebody is very wise. They say, you say they have the wisdom of Solomon. So how did Solomon come to, to grow in his wisdom or receive the gift of his wisdom? We find that in 1 Kings chapter 3. In, first, in, first, uh, in, in chapter 3, there's a problem with the worship of Israel. People are following the cultural example of worshiping the God of Israel in the high places. They felt that if they were on top of a mountain, that they were closer to God. In fact, we use that in our own terminology today, that we have a mountain ter- mountaintop experience. Well, Solomon was doing the same thing. And yet, as he found him, as, as, as God is worshiped in his, in his true character, we find that worship Worshiping God in his true character leads to wisdom and faithfulness. Solomon worships in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It says that Solomon used, uh, used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared uh, to Solomon in a dream by night, and, set, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon is transformed by that worship and humbled by his calling. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7 says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in the place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. With transformed desires based on what he has seen from God and what, he has, what has been his, about his calling, he recognizes his own deficiency before God. And look at verse 9. He says, Give your servant, therefore... An understanding mind. Just as his father had united the kingdom politically in Jerusalem, Solomon is blessed by God to unite the people religiously in the temple. Chapters 5 through 8 deal with that temple being built and being filled with items that make us reflect upon the Garden of Eden, representing that it is a place where heaven and earth meet. It is the place where God's presence will reside. And as we've seen before, God's presence is to be the central component of our lives. And so as Solomon walks in the presence and wisdom of God, we get the books of Proverbs and Song of Solomon. But 
Sadly, then something happens. Maybe he gets prideful or comfortable, just like his father before him. But the result, the result's the same. Solomon begins to walk in folly rather than wisdom. And so chapters 9 through 11 record this folly of Solomon. It records how Solomon begins to foolishly marry hundreds of women from neighboring nations in order to gain political advantage. He adopts their gods and their rituals. He also institutes slavery in Israel. Now, this is not the will of God or the wisdom of God. You'll see this if you go read Deuteronomy 17, which is God's commands for Israel's kings. And in the end, Solomon looks more like Pharaoh in Egypt than he looks like his father David. And so it's not surprising that the next thing we see is the kingdom divided. After Solomon, his own son Rehoboam became king but continues in his father's foolish leadership. Now, there was another man named Jeroboam who leads a revolution, and 11 out of the 12 tribes of Israel secede to form their own kingdom. So Solomon, even though he was was gaining political advantage outside the borders of Israel, inside the borders of Israel, everything was crumbling. And 11 out of the 12 tribes form their own kingdom. The north... Uh, the, or the northern kingdom is called Israel, and the southern kingdom is called Judah. Different kings arise to rule the north, while the line of David continues to rule in Judah. As the kingdom divides, the rest of First Kings and into Second Kings mentions each of these kings and whether or not they were faithful to fulfill uh, God's call to remain faithful to Him. As the kings fade into the background, though, the role of prophet comes into the foreground beginning with Elijah, and then at the end of 1 Kings, moving to his young disciple, Elijah. We will look more at their roles when we pick back up with 2 Kings. Now, we aren't necessarily at the end of 1 Kings, but we've seen enough to make this pause to reflect on some things. So remember back to the horrible situation with David and Bathsheba. David became comfortable and complacent and then conspired to murder Uriah. David definitely didn't have a heart like God's in this instance. But David repented. After the Lord uncovered his wickedness, unraveled him personally, David recognized his foolishness and sought the Lord. The Lord blessed he and Bathsheba, that very woman that he had committed adultery with and conspired to murder. He blessed that union with another son, Solomon. Solomon, the Solomon we've been talking about who eventually became king. While we've only briefly talked about Solomon's life, it's safe to say that while Solomon walked in the wisdom of God, the blessing of God overflowed through him and through Israel. So God brought blessing from a very broken situation. Folks, we're going to see over and over and over again, as we have already seen, that this is exactly what God does. Remember Joseph's words from Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, as he looked at his brothers bowing before him as he held all power to to exercise judgment on them if he had wanted to. Instead, he fixed his eyes on the sovereignty of God in the face of human evil. And he said to them, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. You see, Solomon, maybe unintentionally, 
wrote his own version of this when he wrote that God makes everything beautiful in its time. Found in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. We see these two Old Testament verses as forming an arc from the Old Testament, the New Testament, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. How does God bring blessing from brokenness? Can you even hope for such a thing? Can we experience his renovation of our devastation? Repentance and faith in his character and his promises is the only pathway. And so Solomon's life is a testimony to this very characteristic of God that he puts on full display for us and calls us to believe in. But the last thing that we'll see as a point of application for us today is that worship always precedes wisdom. Worship always precedes wisdom. While Solomon didn't walk in faithfulness his entire life, he yet models a very critical point for us. As he was worshiping God, God met him and bestowed wisdom upon him as he requested it. And we, we may think, well, you know, I, I really wish that uh, I really wish that God would show up in our worship service and ask me to get ask me for whatever I want that he would give it to me. Well, friends, we don't have to have God showing up to do such a thing. Because indeed, God came in the person and work of Jesus Christ to accomplish our redemption, to give us unending access to the presence of God. And then as Jesus ascended, he filled us with his Holy Spirit. And it's through that constant access to the Holy Spirit where Jesus himself invites us, ask and you will receive. In fact, James James chapter 4 tells us that we have not because we ask not. So, so really, friend, you've already received this invitation. But notice what precedes the bestowal of that gift and the making of that request. It's worship. It's worship. Worship is a whole life response to the, characters and the, to the character and the mercy of God. Worship is a transformational act for the believer. And therefore, if, you, if, you, if you're not coming to God in a heart of worship, then you can ask for whatever you want, and God's not going to give it to you. And yet, if you come to God in worship knowing that He wants you to have wisdom, knowing that He wants you to have a greater awareness of His promises, knowing that He wants you to find your calling and your purpose in His kingdom, then friend, guess what? If you will come and you will worship the Lord Jesus Christ and you will behold the promises of God, then you know what you will hear and feel the confidence to do. Ask. 
and you shall receive. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Jeremiah 33, He says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things which you have not known. I wonder, do you worship in this way? I wonder what you've asked for. I wonder what you've asked for and not received. And I wonder what you have received and never had the confidence to ask again. Friend, worship precedes wisdom. And so if you want to become who God has purposed for you to be, start with the repentance and then turn your eyes upon the character and promises of God in worship. And then as you do so, ask. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind and then ask. Align yourself with his heart and then ask. Begin to live wholly surrendered for Jesus. Saying that, God, all that I have, my time, my talent, my treasure is yours. And then ask. Like William Carey told the people before he went to Burma that we should attempt great things for God and then expect great things from God. But if we take God out of the equation, if we remove worship, we have nothing.